A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 15, verses 32 through 39. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. The disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in the desert to feed so great a crowd? Jesus asked them, how many loaves have you? They said, seven and a few small fish. Then ordering the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all of them ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Those who had eaten were 4,000 men besides women and children. After sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. In the name of God, the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I don't remember who told me the story of Phoebe Russell, but it's been an inspiration to me ever since I heard it. Some years ago, I learned the story of this young girl, Phoebe Russell. She was five years old at the time, living in the San Francisco Bay Area, and she became aware of the plight of homeless people in her city and she began to ask questions about them and about that situation and began to wonder what she could do about it. And she discovered that if she recycled cans and made money from that, that she could donate those proceeds to the San Francisco Food Bank. And so that's what she started to do. And as her project unfolded, other people wanted to join in with her and she was glad to have their accompaniment. So over time, they began to raise a significant amount of money. And the one thing that Phoebe added to this process was not only concern for those who were homeless and hungry, but also she wanted to thank those who were helping her and helping them. Phoebe responded personally to every donation, no matter how large or small. She would skip recess, instead using the time to count money and write thank you notes to all who gave to her cause. Phoebe eventually handed over the money and the checks that she had collected in a handmade and hand-colored pencil box with flowers and stickers and colorful stars. And she gave that money to Paul Ash, who was the executive director of the San Francisco Food Bank. And Phoebe's grand total was $3,736.30. Now, how many hungry people did that amount feed? In Phoebe's own words, 17,000 something. The exact amount, according to Paul Ash, was 17,800 hungry people. That many people were fed thanks to Phoebe's kindness, compassion, and determination. And the story gets better because thanks to social media exposure, when Phoebe also wanted to raise funds when she turned six, because of that wider awareness, she was able to raise over $20,000, which made it possible for the San Francisco Food Bank to feed 90,000 people. And when Tyson Foods Company heard about what Phoebe had done, they gave a donation in her honor to the San Francisco Food Bank in the amount of a donated 15 tons of chicken, making it possible for the food bank to feed 120,000 people. All this extraordinary effort because 
One young person saw people who were without homes living on the streets and began to wonder what she could do to help them. I don't want to rush past this story, as preachers often do in order to move on to the next point or to another story, because it's possible, as the poet T.S. Eliot once said, to have the experience but miss the meaning. So what's the meaning in Phoebe's story? What was the wisdom in this young girl? And many people who admired her often spoke about her wisdom. There was certainly an awareness of need. When she saw people who were homeless, she began to wonder why. And in that wonder, compassion is often born. She did not turn away. There was a sense of power in this young girl. Phoebe seems not to have doubted that she could do something in response to these people who were in need to connect with them in some fundamental, meaningful way. There was a recognition of limitation. Phoebe knew that she couldn't make a big impact if she wasn't joined by a lot of other people. She didn't need to do this all on her own. She welcomed the participation of others. There was an acknowledgement that small actions can add up to a big difference. I heard someone say recently that you don't have to make a big gesture in order to have a huge impact. Sometimes it's that accumulation of many small gifts and actions. There was also an, an appreciation of the importance of gratitude. Phoebe felt that it was very important, and I don't know what inspired her understanding in this way, to reach back to those who had made contributions and to thank them. All those thank you notes that Phoebe wrote during her lunch hour or recess time at school were little exclamation points. And though her intention may simply have been to say to others, thank you for helping, I couldn't have done this without you, I think they must also have served the purpose of reminding her helpers of their power, the power not to look away when we face need the power to add something to the momentum that we might eventually call a force for good, the power to unite. I can't believe that everyone who gave contributions to Phoebe's cause were all in agreement with one another on political or economic or spiritual issues, and yet they were united in this endeavor to help feed hungry people. For Phoebe, gratitude was a way of completing a circle. It was an exclamation point on the work, but it gave a sense, I think, of completion to what she had wanted to do, left open the possibility of doing something else in the future. In that sense, her thank you notes were a little like the organ postlude that often concludes services of worship. An organ postlude is also a kind of an exclamation point. It completes an experience of worship. Now, since we're in the month of gratitude, when we've been thinking about the power of gratitude to change human lives, I started to think about whether or not gratitude might also be a prelude, not the completion of something, not a response to someone else for something that they've done for us, but rather the first step towards the journey that we want to make. Sometimes gratitude is the energy that mobilizes us that actually gives us pause to stop for a moment and to give thanks for the opportunity to rise to the occasion when we're striving to meet a human need, as daunting as that may seem. So in this sense, gratitude is not an organ postlude, it's an organ prelude. It sends us on our way. 
In one of his poems, Christopher Fry captures this sense of gratitude as the first step of a journey. He says the human heart can go to the lengths of God and thank God our time is now when wrong comes up to face us everywhere, never to leave us till we take the longest stride of soul human beings ever took. Those words were written a long time ago, but they sound very contemporary. And interestingly enough, Christopher Fry is using gratitude as a prelude. He says, thank God our time is now. This is the sense of gratitude as giving us the energy to move forward to face the challenges that we must face. When Jesus confronted one of the greatest challenges in his ministry, how to feed many hungry people, he turned to the power of gratitude to set in motion a chain of events that led to the nourishment of several thousand people. Having been followed over the course of several days by a large crowd, his disciples urged, them, urged Jesus to send them away. As far as they were concerned, their hunger was their problem. But in that deserted place where resources must have seemed so scarce, Jesus turned to those disciples and asked them what food they had available to them. They responded, a few loaves of fish, a few, a few loaves of bread, and some fish. So he took what they had, and the very first thing that he did was to give thanks. To give thanks for what was available, because that was going to be the catalyst to feed all of those hungry people. Perhaps to draw forth the food that they also had in their possession so that everyone might share with one another, and therefore making it possible for everyone to be fed. This was a daring move on the part of Jesus, giving thanks for an abundance that wasn't really apparent, but it worked. Those few loaves and fishes somehow became food for thousands. And this is one of the first stories in human history in which leftovers get to be mentioned in a positive way. Baskets of leftovers after this feeding of the thousands of people. This was an incredibly important story for the early church. It's called a miracle story, and no surprise there, but it's the only miracle story that's included in all four of the portraits that we have about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think it was an important story because in some ways it distilled the two most crucial elements that have to be present in every community of faith that wants to make a difference in the world. So first of all, it's a story that reveals the compassion of Jesus. And that was the spirit of compassion that was also revealed in the young life of Phoebe Russell. It's also a story that reveals the confidence of Jesus. At no point in this story do we get the sense that he worries about what he's set in motion. He wants to feed hungry people and he intends to do it and he will do it. And confidence is an important ingredient in this story and I think confidence is a part of his person, personality that often goes under-recognized. After all, anyone who says, I'm the light of the world, as he did, is most li likely not lacking in confidence. So he said thank you, even before the fish and the bread were distributed, as if it was perfectly obvious that those few elements of food would somehow become multiplied to the good of everyone. This is gratitude as a prelude. And when the disciples complained to Jesus, he didn't hesitate to say, you give them something to eat. 
as if it was perfectly obvious that a whole crowd could be filled with this meager food because he was confident in them too. This experience of giving thanks over just a small meal in the expectation that if multiplied it could feed others is such an extraordinary example of the riskiness of faith. Jesus stepping out into the unknown and trusting that an underlying abundance would make it possible for everyone to eat. Compassion and confidence. These are two qualities we see in Phoebe and two qualities we see in Jesus. Sometimes using gratitude as a postlude, sometimes using gratitude as a prelude. But for Phoebe and for Jesus, these are people both of whom believed that there is actually an abundance of goodwill in the world that can be tapped, an abundance of grace, an abundance of compassion, if we will turn our lives and our hearts in the direction of that possibility. And I think one of the largest projects we have before us as human beings on this planet is to believe in that, the availability of that abundance and to figure out every way possible of tapping it. And it is being tapped. Despite what we're hearing on the news, there are people all across the world who are advocating for peace on earth and goodwill among all the inhabitants of the planet. And two of them are Sally Abed, a Palestinian citizen of Israel, and Alan Lee Green, a Jewish Israeli. These two people have been traveling all around the United States to bring a message of unity, peace, reconciliation in New York, Washington, and Boston. They have found packed auditoriums and eager audiences in community centers, synagogues, libraries, and the offices of politicians. The staff of their organization, Standing Together, is trying to teach Americans, anyone who will listen, really, about their lived reality and the only path they see moving forward. They describe that path as one that cannot be boiled down to a hashtag. One in which millions of Israelis and Palestinians would remain on the land that each call home and one that would require enough popular political will to demand peace. We're trying to play a different game in Israel and in Palestine, Mr. Green said on November 9th to a group of people organized by a group in Brooklyn, Jews for Racial and Economic Justice. And this game is very simple, he said. It says that both Jewish people and Palestinians are going to stay on this land. No one is going anywhere. We need to start working from this point, he said, receiving a wave of nods. Our futures, he said, are intertwined. And the only way that we can keep ourselves alive is by keeping each other alive. Now, these are two young people standing together who actually believe that there is an abundance of people on the face of this earth who want goodwill, who want peace and reconciliation, just like Phoebe Russell believed that there were people out there who would want to contribute to her cause. Despite the enormous pressure imposed on them by the nature of their work, hostage negotiators are working tirelessly for the release of those Israelis who were abducted on October the 7th. And they wouldn't be doing that if they didn't believe that there wasn't some resource, some leaning towards peace that was possible to which they could appeal. 
how delicate and precise their negotiations must be using fragile words to create bridges of trust and cooperation. And I think, I dare say that we're maybe beginning to see that their work is starting to bear fruit. And despite overwhelming odds and at great personal risk, doctors in Gaza are using the small resources at their disposal, I would say to work miracles. Who knows what implements they are putting to use to mend wounds, offer comfort, and tend to broken bodies. I don't know that I would call that the, the materials available to them in abundance, but they believe that somehow they will use what is available to them to work their work of healing. I know we face extraordinary challenges as we look into the future. But I would agree with Justice Louis Brandeis when he said, most of the things worth doing in the world had been declared impossible before they were done. The people who faced and overcame the impossible believed that there was an abundance of hope, an abundance of love, an abundance of faith that could be tapped, that this abundance comes from God. And I give thanks for all people everywhere who are striving to tap that great resource I give thanks for this congregation as we live into our varied callings, reaching out to the world to care for creation, to create peace, to welcome refugees. I give thanks sometimes as a prelude to open the day and make the day full of worthful living. And I give thanks as a postlude to add my exclamation mark at the end of the day. So in these times, which are our times, and what we make of them. Let's tap that power of gratitude, bid goodbye to the corrosive power of skepticism. Fare thee well to fear, bon voyage to despair. Thank God, our time is right now. Amen.